0: Well, this week we continue our series called Cross Currents, and in this series we're taking a look at one news story each week and turning to the Bible for wisdom on how best to to live and how best to think, how best to, to respond to some of the events of the day from a biblical framework. One of the great marks of a follower of Jesus is the way that we apply our lives to issues, apply our faith to issues that impact our lives every day. And so the first week we looked at the issue of money and what the Bible has to say about money. The second week we looked at the issue of what it means to wait, to wait with God and trusting his goodness and his timing in our lives. Last week we looked at our call to be image bearers in the world. Today's issue has to do with the upcoming election, kind of. This Tuesday is election day in what has traditionally been called a midterm election election because it's the, in the middle of a sitting president's term. And I've noticed a few common themes through a lot of different articles uh, in various places. So one, almost everyone will tell you this is a very important election. Some will say the most important election of our lifetime. They say that every single election. So sooner or later, they'll probably get that right. But um, it is an important election as our nation continues to struggle to find our footing in a post-pandemic season. Uh, Another theme is the balance of power in the House and the Senate could change. It often does uh, in a a midterm. And then another theme is the sense of division in our national politics continues to get worse. In my humble opinion, I, I tend to agree with this. It was hard to imagine how members of our two major parties last week couldn't even be in the same room, if you will, or strike the same emotional tone in their response to the attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband. This past Monday, the Washington Post ran a fascinating article profiling a few voters. One couple's from Spotsylvania County and the other person was from Lake Ridge. And the article described how voters who uh, were from different parties, but they have some issues in common. So one is inflation is uh, high, on people's list of issues they have in common. And another was the deep concern over the division in our politics. And it's hit close to home. The couple from Spotsylvania, Paul and Doris McKinney, said, they have had it with the anger they see on TV in their community. Doris has a cousin, and we don't speak now because she's of a different party, she said. It's just sad. Paul said, Paul prays for Americans to come together and stop hating one another. The other person in the article, Rose Gonzalez, said of the bitter division, nothing matters to her nearly as much as the perilous time we're in in our country, she said. I've been through all the racism. I thought we were moving toward more understanding. Now it's scary, the divisiveness. She continued, and she asked, what is changing us? That's a great question. What is changing us? us the mckinney's and miss gonzalez are not alone i've heard from some of you how the issue of politics has caused a strain in friendships and family relationships and no doubt people are going to have disagreements when it comes to political issues people can even disagree with passion but it does not have to bring us to a place of broken relationships and bitter attitudes as god's people people who love God and follow Jesus, I believe it's important that we lead the way in being champions for life-giving, loving, healthy relationships. Let's just face it today. You can just do an inventory of all your different relationships. Relationships can be challenging, and it's not just political division. Work relationships can be strained. Family life can always put a strain on relationships. For example, I read a story about a couple who was driving down a country road in steely silence, and they had an argument after visiting family, and as they drove past a farm with goats and mules, the husband asked sarcastically, relatives of yours? (laughs) She said, yes, (laughs) (laughs) in-laws. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Let's face it. The relationships that we have in life can cause great, great joy or deep pain. And the lack of meaningful relationships, of course, causes loneliness, and that can be even more painful. So what I want us to focus on today is exploring what the Bible has to say about nurturing, developing, thriving, healthy relationships. And there's no better place to turn than the words, of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And hear these very familiar words of Jesus. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of God. Let's take a closer look at this in context, in light of our relationships. Jesus said that we should not ever give up on others. Now think about that for a moment. If you just think about all those relationships you've surveyed, he says that we should never give up on others. Do not judge. How many times have you heard this phrase perhaps taken out of context? and partially applied. A Christian maybe gets caught up in the wrong crowd and they justify it by saying, well, who am I to to judge? Or you know of an unethical practice at work, but you don't want to confront the situation, so you just say, hey, who am I to judge? Jesus is not saying here, when he offers this word, to put your truth blinders on and throw all discernment out the door. Not at all. What does he mean then? He starts with a powerful lesson of reciprocity. We see this in in other teachings of Jesus. For example, in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The fifth line of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And now he says, judge not or you will be judged in the same measure you use to judge others. It will be used against you. Another way to say this, where I'm from, is what goes around comes around, right? The term judge here can have various meanings. It can mean a simple evaluation, like I like the color of that car that just went down the street. It can be the result of a formal litigation in a trial in in a court of law. Or it can be believing that the sum total of someone's life is ultimately and finally guilty guilty and condemned before God. And this is what Jesus is saying here. It is this latter type of judgment that Jesus is forbidding. And this, this kind of latter type of judgment that might even begin on, on a, 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 a critical thought about someone and just continue down a slippery slope until you just judge them as, you know what, I don't have time for them. I don't believe God really has time for them. To judge the heart of someone is the domain of God and God alone. And if someone is judgmental toward others, they are guilty of even greater sin. They are guilty of taking God's place. So Jesus says they will be judged as sinful by God. Now, why is a judgmental spirit so damaging in relationships? Well, first of all, think about it practically. It means there's there's no social glue there. No one wants to be around someone who always makes them feel unwanted or unworthy. As disciples, we're supposed to be the presence of Christ, the influence for Jesus, where we live, work, and play. And if someone comes across as judgmental, no one wants to be around somebody and hear what they have to say about their faith. And it blocks the flow of love in your heart. It just blocks it completely. Our great call is to love and not to condemn. The call to love others and the warning not to be judgmental, are inextricably linked in the teachings of Jesus. The most famous verse in the Bible. Who can, you want to say it? Anybody have a, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right, you guys are really good. You get a little gold star right down here. How about the next verse? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Love and the warning against condemnation. The passage continues and says that people are only condemned ultimately if they reject his son Jesus, and it is God and God alone who will make that determination. God and God alone. Our cause to look upon others And to find in them the magnificence that God created. And to stubbornly refuse to give up on them or to lose hope. It is to recognize that all people are made in the image of God, like we talked about last week. Remember, if we think that someone has no hope or they're beyond our hope, it could really be more about saying more about our limitations to love. Our limitations to have faith. Our limitations to pray and to have and hold out hope. Our God can redeem what seems to be unredeemable. This is what I believe to be one of the great battlefields of the heart in our relationships. We can be so critical of one another, we can be so easy to make superficial, critical, and condemning judgments that we miss the thumbprint of the divine in each and every person. You've probably heard some of these analogies, but you've probably heard that people gave up on Michael Jordan, some did, and he was first deemed a failure in basketball when he got cut from the varsity team. Or Abraham Lincoln, we now know famously, was deemed as a failure as a politician. And a gourmet restaurant where I'm from, uh, Truett Cathy, who came up with Chick-fil-A, they thought he was a failure at first, and he ends up with a billion dollar industry. People around them saw them as failures. And if we as human beings are faulty in the way that we make athletic and business judgments, how much more are we inadequate to make a judgment about the heart? Back to the political scene for a moment. It is so easy to hear all of these commercials and form a snap opinion of someone. Uh, My dad is uh, in the hospital, and I I was there visiting him for a couple days at the end of the week, and the uh, TV was on. And in North Carolina, they have a lot more contentious races than we have here. And, you know, I don't know if he was really processing the thing, but if they had had me hooked up to the blood pressure like he was, mine would have just gone through the roof. It was crazy. It's so easy to hear someone at work or somewhere else with whom you disagree and form a quick opinion of them even beyond their political beliefs. So let me encourage you. As you engage others, don't let your heart take the bait. Resist the urge to consider someone beyond the reach of God. Don't let your heart go down the rabbit trail of division. Pray for people with whom you disagree and stay loving at every turn. Put our cards out on the table. Condemning others is living with little faith in what God can do. Now, before we go to the next part of the passage, let me just hit the pause button for a second. There is a difference between judging people and judging behavior. For example, there are some political issues and behaviors by politicians that should be called out by God's people as wrong. But we have to do the hard work of separating the person from the behavior. And after hearing some of the comments in this political environment, it struck me that we speak of individual politicians and candidates, people who are spouses and and parents and children. They are individuals made in the image of God, but we speak of them almost like we speak of sports teams. You've heard people say, you know, I hate the Cowboys or I hate the Eagles or I hate the commanders. And we usually assume when we do that that the person is referring to winning and losing of an athletic contest. We don't assume that they're talking about the individual coaches and players on those teams. We kind of make that assumption. We give that benefit of the heart, if you will. But in politics, we've started talking about individuals like we talk about sports teams, as red or blue. And we talk about individuals that way. When we do this, we dehumanize people. And God's people, we have to be better than that. We have to lead the way in this country and say, hey, I can disagree with your politics, but I can love you with the love of Jesus. And by the way, let me tell you a little bit about him. Play button. Jesus also says, correct with caution here. Jesus asked a question. He asked really good questions. He inquired, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye while you have a huge plank in your own eye? Jesus here is confronting the hypocrisy of seeing the sin in others without recognizing your own. Isn't that so human? Isn't it easy to rationalize our sinful behavior and guilt, but not someone else's? Adam was first up to the plate with this in the very first sin in the history of sinning, right? The woman you put here with me, she gave it to me, and so I ate it. And then Eve, you know, the serpent you put here, blah, 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 blah. Sin and rationalization have been twins from the very beginning. It is so easy to overlook our own sin and yet clearly see the sin of others. It's easier to mind the spiritual health of others than to try to mind your own. But notice here, you usually stop with that application. Jesus doesn't say ignore the sin, does he? He doesn't. He says, take the plank out of your own eye first before you go and remove the speck out of your brother's eye. To ignore sin is to deny the impact of sin in someone else's life. One of the great marks of Christian community is not that the church is a group of self-righteous, self-appointed sin police, but that Christian brothers and sisters care so deeply about the spiritual well-being of others that we would go to that place of spirit-led correction, so deeply that we would be willing to confront sinful, destructive behaviors. We are called to love each other that much That is what's happening in this passage. Remove the plank first, then the speck. But here, two huge yellow flags, okay? What does yellow mean? Anybody watch NASCAR? It means caution anywhere, not just NASCAR. (laughs) It means slow down, stop racing through your thoughts, and consider these two cautions. One is proximity proximity are you very close to this person before you go to a place of correction are you very close to them jesus uses the term brother if you notice a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye we know that in christ we're all brothers and sisters and this implies a closeness of christian friendship relational proximity is crucial so that truth can be heard in love jesus is not advocating here drive by confrontations. Second, prior examination. Jesus is saying here, examine your own life first. Remove the plank out of your own eye is using exaggeration and humor on a very serious subject. Jesus is saying here, there's no way to confront sin in a redemptive way without first confronting your own. There's no way that you can go to a place of confronting sin in a redemptive way without first confronting your own. And when we do this, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we see the impact of sin in our lives and we mourn it. We see the beauty of forgiveness and grace and we want to extend it. We see the precarious and sometimes fragile nature of repentance and we want to walk with our loved one as they seek to walk in repentance. If the Spirit leads you, to a place of confronting sin, then do so with great caution of proximity and prior examination. The the last thing I want us to see from this passage is to be discerning. Our passage ends with a most curious verse. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, have you ever heard something from the Bible and it just leaves you scratching your head? This is one of them. And, and there are multiple interpretations. So one longstanding interpretation is that as Christians, we have great pearls of service. And even the gospel is, is a pearl. And we're not to offer these pearls to someone who is not worthy or who will not use them in an the appropriate manner. That is an, a, a often... A, 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 an interpretation of this passage that you will hear. I would like to suggest with humility, the weight of Scripture does not square with this at all. That the weight of Scripture does not square with this. Jesus never calls us to view someone as unworthy of the gospel. And that idea alone kind of puts us in a, in a judgmental posture if we're not careful. Rather, I think what Jesus is saying here is be wise and discerning about who, when, and where you share God's truth with others. There will be people who do not appreciate the beauty of the gospel. There will be folks who make a mockery of it. There will be folks in your journey who will not receive the gospel from you, but perhaps they will receive it from someone else. Even when you are right with regard to the truth, you must follow the Spirit's lead and be discerning in how when, and with whom you share the gospel. And I would just simply add, I would pray extra hard before you choose not to share the gospel with someone. Dallas Willard coined the phrase pearl pushers. It's easy for us to become pearl pushers and want to force good things on others. And he made the analogy of of teenagers. Push, 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 but sometimes with the wrong spirits, what parents do. And all of a sudden, appear or someone else will share something with a teenager, and they'll think it's the greatest wisdom since God invented wisdom. That's how it is sometimes with the gospels. But here's the thing: in love, and when we hold our relationships in the context of love, disciples don't care who gets the credit, as long as people are being impacted. So. I told you, the election, kind of. Because we can apply these words of Jesus in every single relationship. Where do we find the power to refuse being judgmental? Where do we find the kind of love that loves a brother and sister so much that we would even intervene in their lives when they're destroying it? We find it in Jesus. To con- Jesus who refused to condemn us and rather went to the cross in our place, so that we might find life. Powerful words from Jesus on these important relationships. Let's keep them in mind this Tuesday and every single day. Don't give up on others. Be cautious with confrontation and correction, and be discerning. Be ready to share your faith in a winsome way. Amen.